You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. Today's scripture comes from Luke, um, chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Please pray with me. May the words on my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God. Amen. So when I was asked to preach this Sunday, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to talk about and what I wanted to preach on. And I'm, there's so many good things in the Bible that I get overwhelmed and don't always know what to choose. And so kind of my, my, my path, the, what I usually do is I go to something called the lectionary. These are these, a three-year cycle of assigned readings. Um, it's often used in Methodist tradition, United Methodist tradition, which is my tradition. Not always, but sometimes. If you go to the Lutherans or the Episcopalians, they're a lot stricter about using these cycle of readings. But I find them really helpful because these readings push me out of my comfort zone. They invite me to struggle with some of the more difficult passages of Scripture. And so I went online, looked it up, and looked at today's assigned reading, and it brought me to this gospel lesson text. And I will be honest, my first reading through made me go, huh. I like those passages where Jesus is compassionate. I like those passages where Jesus speaks about justice. I like the passages where the disciples and Jesus all seem like the good guys. And this one did not fit any of those bills. Instead, it is one that's made me say, I don't know where this will take me. I'm going to have to do some research to figure it out. 
but you know what? I think this is what I need to do. So I emailed it off to Charlie and I was committed. <laughs> and for me, when this happens, when I encounter a scripture that I struggle with, I see it as an invitation. God is inviting me to wrestle and to learn. Rather than starting with a preconceived plan of what I want to talk about, because sometimes I read scripture and I say, oh, I know exactly the direction I'm going to go, I do the work of unpacking the scripture. In seminary, we had a fancy word they taught us that was um, exegesis. Do some exegesis. Unpack that scripture and ask, God, what do you want to tell me and these good people at Covenant Presbyterian Church on this day? So I sat down and I began reading. I read through the scripture. I started reading some commentaries. And one of the first questions I often ask in my first reading is, who are the people in the story that I relate to? And as I read this story, I said, I would most definitely be the disciples in this story. Jesus and his disciples are out spreading the good news. And they have a plan. They are going to go to a Samaritan village. Now, one of the things you need to know about kind of what is happening in the context in this time is that there is a disagreement between Samaritans and Jews. A commentary I read actually said it was, uh, it was an animosity. They did not like each other. They saw the center of their worship in different places. Jews th saw Jerusalem as the only proper location for worship. We hear in today's scripture, Jesus has his eyes set towards Jerusalem. He is a Jew. He's looking towards Jerusalem. The Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim. And they had a different direction that they were looking. And this caused tension. We hear this throughout the New Testament. They didn't get along. And so I'm sure the disciples were, you know, a little bit in their smug place of like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to go see these Samaritans. And we've got this Jesus guy. He knows what's up. We've got the Son of God on our side. Let's let these people know what's right. I don't know. That's what I would have said if I was a disciple. Now, there is deep division present. And I think when we think about our culture, we understand deep division. And so we might not be surprised that they weren't welcomed. But they lived in a different culture. And there was actually a culture of hospitality. And so even though they didn't agree on things, culture said that they should have been welcomed. Jesus sent people ahead. He was planning to be welcomed. Go prepare a place for, my, for us. There was an expectation that they would be welcomed there, that they could stay there, they could spend some time there, they could be with the people. And so when they are turned away, it's a little bit of a shock. And so again, I put myself in the place of those disciples because I would feel my righteous indignation brewing. See? We are going to them. We're being these people. We're making these overtures. They're supposed to welcome us. And we wanted to just spend some time. They're supposed to provide us with some hospitality. They think they're too good for us. The disciples are riled. And they are ready to burn it all down. Literally. 
Scripture says they ask Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? How many times have you been in that space? Maybe you don't literally ask that question, but you've been angry. You are angry about a new law. You are angry about politicians and leaders and their actions. You are angry about injustice in our wider world, in our country, or just in our community. You are angry about something happening at the church. You are righteous. I am righteous. I am right. I have Jesus on my side, and I am ready to burn it all down. Anyone else feel that way? (laughs) I would have been with those disciples, preparing my protest signs, and ready with the most prophetic prayer ever. And yet Jesus, being Jesus, does what he does best, and does what his followers least expect. Instead of rebuking those people who have denied hospitality to the stranger, something that they're supposed to do, denying hospitality to a stranger who happens to be the son of God, he rebukes his followers. He turns to the disciples and rebukes them. This is a moment for us to pause and to remember Jesus and his mission. Why did Jesus come? What was his mission? Where was he headed? We kind of heard that in the children's sermon. He was, he was headed somewhere. What was that mission? We heard about it earlier in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this story where he goes to his local synagogue, he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads his calling out of the scroll of Isaiah. And I will be honest, this is one of my favorite passages, and if I didn't go to the lectionary, maybe one I would have chosen to preach on. In the beginning of Isaiah, or in the beginning of Luke, Jesus quotes Isaiah proclaiming his mission as his mission is to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Commentary from Dr. Janine K. Brown points out that Jesus' mission focuses on proclaiming the good news, the year of the Lord's favor. But that's not all of what Isaiah 62.2 says where he is quoting. He leaves off part of it. In Isaiah 61.2, it ends with also proclaiming the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus leaves that out. Jesus' ministry is about restoration, not about vengeance. When hurt, pain, brokenness occurs, Jesus isn't about punishment. He's not about calling fire down and proclaiming that he's the right one. He's about asking, how do we love? How do we restore relationship? How do we fix it all? so that all may live and all may flourish in God's kingdom. How can all live in the Lord's favor? And let me be honest. This this path is a lot harder. Our culture likes to sit in righteous indignation. 
We like to proclaim that we are right and they are wrong, whoever we and they may be, and that sometimes shifts and changes, but we're always, we are always on the right side, or at least I am. <laughs> we are continually asking about how can we command fire down from heaven, or at least write a prophetic Facebook post. How can we win so that they lose? Because we have this either or mentality in our culture. But Jesus pushes us to ask, how can everybody win? God's kingdom isn't about winners and losers, but about everybody having enough. Everybody experiencing love and grace and flourishing. And I think the second half of today's scripture invites us into this space. On the first reading of this part, this scripture, the second half is where I really started to struggle. Let the dead bury their dead. No looking back. Not even saying goodbye to family. Jesus. What happened, happened to love and compassion? What happened to weeping with those who weep? What happened to building relationship? Jesus, isn't that what you're supposed to be about? One of the commentaries I read, because I needed commentaries in this moment, because I couldn't figure out what Jesus was saying, reminded us that Jesus often spoke in hyperbole. The writer said that Jesus isn't literally saying those things. We don't literally need to do those things. But he is pointing out the radical lifestyle that following Jesus requires of us. It is hard. It will involve really hard decisions. The life of discipleship is not an easy one. And Jesus is trying to highlight that here. When you follow Jesus, you are called to push back against what culture says. You are called to be asking continually, is it loving? And acting on that. Even when the world demands vengeance. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't get angry. It doesn't mean we always have to be mild and gentle and kind of these hippies that just are loving. Because sometimes love can be strong. Sometimes love is angry. Sometimes love looks around the world and says, that's not right and that's not loving. Let us do something about it. Remember Jesus with the whip in the temple? He got angry. Being loving in our world means we move into action. Dr. Mikael Parsons points out the lack of mourning the dead as Jesus' call for us to participate in a prophetic drama like Jeremiah's or Ezekiel's refusal to mourn the dead. In this moment, he is underscoring that there is a crisis at hand, that we must move now, and sometimes there isn't time to sit around and mourn, even when that's maybe where we should be, but the crisis calls us further. We must take drastic action sometimes, now. We must not be complacent, but dig deeply into our discipleship, dig deeply into what Jesus is calling us, especially when it gets hard. We must be a force of love in a world that desperately needs it. I think of the memory text that was chosen for today. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily. 
we are invited to make difficult decisions and follow Jesus. Daily, we are invited to ask, how can I love my neighbor? How do I follow Jesus? This morning, I am coming to you from the Wisconsin Council of Churches, and we often find ourselves wrestling with these questions. How do we help people from the 21 member denominations, traditions that we that are part of the council live into this call from Jesus even more? How do we build relationships across difference? And let me tell you, the differences that exist within the council and some of our theological traditions would probably put the Samaritans and the Jews to shame. <laughs> we have some big differences. But we recognize that Jesus calls us to love each other and that love is more important. We are called to love each other and love our neighbors. So a few of the projects we have been working on are, we have a COVID vaccination project that has helped vaccinate or boost over 2,100 people at 105 unique locations across the state. Now you might say, okay, that seems like a big number, 2,100, like, but I don't know. But this project started after almost all the people who were really excited to get vaccinated got vaccinated. This is a project that is going two people by three people. When we have a clinic that has nine or ten people, we celebrate because these are people who didn't show up when it was easy. These are people who had struggles, had barriers, weren't able to get to the clinic, maybe were really hesitant and took some time and had to have some conversation. So we've had 105 locations, some of them hosting multiple clinics. And we lean, as we lean into this work, we realize that there's more to do. And so we are creating empathetic listening videos because we know that sitting in our righteous indignation does not help, but entering into space of grace and love and understanding is really important. And so we're asking how can we help equip people to have these hard conversations whether they be about COVID vaccines, whether they be about politics, whether they be about whatever issues are affecting people. How can we help equip people to listen empathetically? We are organizing around preventing gun violence and asking how we can lean into holy imagination to work for safer communities in an area that seems that often there is little change. We celebrate that there's legislation passed last week, but there's still more work to do to make our community safer. And so where do we as the church step into that place? We're asking how do we sit with so many communities around the state that have experienced such grief during the pandemic, during all that has happened over the past few years? How do we create resources for communities to gather together and mourn and heal. We're empowering local people of faith to show up at school board meetings and city councils to speak in love and work for racial equity. These are just a few of the projects. I had a hard time keeping it to like a long paragraph because our staff, I think we have 12 people on staff right now. I will tell you two years ago we had three. So the work is exploding because there is so much work that God's church is called to in our world. We recognize that God is calling all of us to courage, to justice, and holy imagination. The work of discipleship is difficult. 
Maybe you're sitting here today and be like, okay, Brianna tells me I need to go love, I need to go do some action, but what do I do? That's where some of us at the council like to help. Or maybe, and I've emailed with your pastor before, he'd be like, what should we do about this? I'm like, here's six ideas. I actually really like it when I get emails from Charlie because I get to just give him all my crazy ideas and who knows what happens. <laughs> so maybe if he has something that's a little weird, you can just blame me. <laughs> but this is the diversity that of the church. This is the church coming together, that you guys aren't alone in this space. You are connected to churches across the city and across the state, through the council, and even beyond that, through all the partnerships that exist. And we see this diversity and these connections as strength. So if you are wondering what to do, I invite you to ask the person in the pew next to you. Ask your pastor. Reach out and say, what do we do? What? I feel like Jesus is calling me, but I'm not sure where I'm, what my gifts are. There is a place for you in the work of God. And so I ask you on this day, what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? How can you lean more deeply into this call? How can you love God and love your neighbor even more? We are on this journey together. And there are going to be days where we mess it up, but know that God is with us in this journey of grace and love that leads to a flourishing of all. Amen.